Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. My name is Rob Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And oh boy, we got a treat for you this week. Rob, your pick was Chopping Mall. That's right, because we're we're in the midst of the holiday shopping season here in America. So it just absolutely made sense to watch Chopping Mall. Chopping Mall is not a holiday horror movie or a holiday movie at all, but it concerns uh, the, the shopping mall, you know, the, um, the, the original cathedrals of consumerism, giant interior spaces where you could eat, shop, hang out when permitted by security, uh, and of course, <laughs> during the holidays, meet Santa Claus himself or some representative of Santa Claus within this giant enclosed space. Now, when I was a teenager, there was a brief time when I actually did hang out at the shopping mall, just like in the movies, because it's very convenient when you're like 14, you don't have your own car, you want to hang out with your friends at a place where you're not like at somebody's house with their parents, uh, but you don't really have anywhere else to go, you can get dropped off at the mall and hang out there. But right at the time that I was like getting into a groove of hangouts at the mall, our local mall, I think, banned unaccompanied minors because uh, some of us were getting into trouble, apparently. Yeah, yeah, that was that was frequently the issue, wasn't it? Um, I don't remember. I don't think I ever went to the mall frequently enough to run afoul of security. But I remember it being an ideal destination uh, as, as like a, a junior high kid and, and as a teenager a bit, you know, because you go there, you got the food, you got the arcade, uh, mm-hmm. you've got the, you know, the, the Spencer's gift stores and the... Um, <laughs> Like the the rock band T-shirt uh, stores, you know, it, it it feels like you're 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 entering into a wider world of uh, of adult responsibility and possibilities when you go into the mall and extreme alienation and religious significance. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, Chopping Mall is a 1986 film, um, and it, and just the fact that it came out in '86 is pretty amazing because 1986 is a, an amazing year for genre uh, cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it is but, the genre that I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. You came out in '86. So, so <laughs> you and this movie are, are basically siblings. Mm-hmm. Of course, the other big horror movie that's filmed in a mall is George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, which is, uh, I, I guess, you could say, you know, Dawn of the Dead is more of a intentional satire of consumerism and the and the the American use of malls, uh, where uh, characters end up uh, going there during a zombie apocalypse and encountering all of these zombified humans that are just sort mm-hmm. of wandering about the mall. Chopping Mall <laughs> is a little lighter on the satire, but is is still a heck of a lot of fun. Well, I'd say no, Chopping Mall is heavy on the satire, but the tone of the satire is lighter. Yes. It's like when 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 Dawn of the I, I mean, I love Dawn of the Dead, but uh but when it decides to say something, it's yeah. going to like sort of grab you by the collar and say something at you. It's it's very heavy handed. Yeah. Chopping Mall has a I mean, uh, let's let's be clear. Chopping Mall is is just sleazy 80s slasher trash but it's a kind of transcendent sleazy 80s slasher trash uh because it has a real spirit of fun and it's like sour cream and onion flavored it's just really spunky <laughs> yeah it's when it has something to say about malls and consumerism it's it's, it's more of a snicker as opposed to a loud proclamation uh, mm-hmm. to your point and uh and i will say while you you could argue that there are some sleazy aspects to the plot. A lot of the sleazier aspects feel like like they're thirteen year old sleazy as opposed yes. to like um, you know thirty year old sleazy. I guess they're not night killer sleazy. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to the real dark side. Yeah, I mean it's rated R, but uh, you know it's 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 not going to haunt your memories or anything. Well, I guess we get into weird territory because I realized, like, I, I just assumed from the beginning that the listeners would always realize the movies we're talking about on Weird House are almost never for kids. But yeah. we did recently talk about an Ewok adventure, so uh, so there may be some mixed signals going on now. Uh, unless we say otherwise, the movies we talk about on Weird House Cinema are not for children. Correct. So I think the first place to start with this one is just to is to talk about the title of the picture and the posters that came out, the VHS um, um, cover art as well, promoting this film because it's excellent, but it's also 
really misleading. Like I remember seeing the poster or box art when I was a kid and it says mm-hmm. shopping mall. And uh, depending on the, the copy, it's either in like blood font or like dripping chrome font. And in either case, the centerpiece is a red paper shopping bag that is torn and to varying degrees loaded with like body parts. Like somebody's just chopped some people up, put them in a shopping bag. And then there is some sort of monstrous hand holding the bag. On one poster, it looks pretty much like like a big medieval gauntlet. And on the other poster, it looks like a slightly cybernetic goblin hand. Yeah, so what these bags definitely have in common is the contents, which are body parts uh, ahead, the the title chopping mall. But the hand, the difference in the hand is is fascinating and confusing and strange. What were they trying to say about this film? That in one version, it's the rollerball glove, mm-hmm. and in the other one, it is a, a robot monster. Yeah, the robot monster hand, too, looks a whole lot like the disembodied hand from the poster for the American haunted house movie House that came out the year before, which is, Mm. of course, a very signature poster as well. This disembodied hand, I think, putting a key in a door lock. Yeah, that's right. But the rollerball glove is interesting, too. It's got like the studs and the razors on the Mm -hmm. knuckles. I don't know if you've ever seen the... um uh, I, I I must confess, I've actually never seen the James Caan movie Rollerball, but I'm to understand it's about some kind of dystopian future death sport that where the characters wear these leather gloves that have metal studs on all the knuckles. Yeah, and the poster VHS art for Rollerball uh, prominently features that spiked fist of James Caan. So which came out first, Rollerball or Chopping Mall? Oh, Rollerball for sure. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So one, I think one of the things that explains all of this uh, is the fact that this movie, Chopping Mall, uh, the Corman camp, because uh, this is ultimately a Roger Corman um, production. Uh, I think uh, Julie Corman, uh, his wife, is actually the producer, but it's, it's a Corman property. Um, mm-hmm. They tried to put it out with the name Killbots, prominently <laughs> featuring one of the, the killer robots that's in the film on the poster, and apparently it didn't do as well. So... Corman did a, a trick that that he had done previously, and that is take the film, uh, repackage it, give it a new title, new poster art, put it out again, and strike gold. It's a whole new thing. Yeah. They'd done something similar with uh, the 1979 film Screamers, which was an American release of the Italian film Island of the Fishmen. And they put it out as something waits in the dark. It didn't work, so they took it back. And Corman actually got uh, this guy, uh, Jim Wynorski to uh, produce some new opening footage for it. They gave it a new title, Screamers, and then it did pretty well. This is the one about the people who shipwreck on an island and there's like a mad scientist there who has created human-fish hybrids. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fabulous. Uh, and I, I would love to come back and discuss it um, in a future episode. Uh, but uh, but I bring it up here as just an example of the, the kind of stuff that uh, the, the Corman camp would do to figure out just a sweet spot for promoting a film. And in this case, the, what they seemed to, to get was, well, the audience isn't really interested in a killer robot movie with this kind of like, old-fashioned clunky robot, but if we sell it as a slasher picture, then we got them. I mean, it's a huge difference. The The poster for Chopping Mall, I see that and I'm like, oh, I'm in. The poster for Killbots, I don't know, looks like I've seen this before, and I had not. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing the box or the poster art for Chopping Mall as a kid and being too afraid to look at the back of the box. But in my (laughs) mind, I knew that it had to be a film about a crazy guy in a big metal glove who kills people in a shopping mall. Like that was the the whole plot I formed in my head. And that's pretty far from the truth. This is a killer robot movie. Yeah. You would have imagined this was like a slasher movie that involved, I don't know, weapons lifted from KB toys or something. (laughs) Yeah. Or uh, what was the, oh man, uh, the, uh, was it Camelot, the mall music store oh, yeah. that had the, and the, I remember everything there was always really expensive. Like the CDs were $22 and I was like, how can you buy that? Yeah. That was an age when, when trying out new music, it was a totally different scenario. Like today you, you try out multiple albums per day if you want via, you mm-hmm. know, pretty much any paid subscription or even not paying, just going on YouTube and stuff. Uh, but back then it was like, all right, I'm going to drop 20 bucks on this new album. I, I don't know what it's going to be like. I, I, I haven't heard it. It might be terrible. I might ha- I'm might. i just going to listen to it over and over again, though, and at least force myself to like one song because this is what I'm listening to this month. 
right? <laughs> I mean, it was a very different time because of the the monetary and time investment involved in discovering new music. Uh, it seems like once you found something you really liked, it was more special back then. Uh, yeah. may, maybe that's just idealizing the past. No, no, but you know, this is all really getting at, I think, one of the key things about Chopping Mall that's so lovable <laughs> is that Chopping Mall is an historic document, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so much of my appreciation of the film is the fact that, yeah, they filmed it in a real mall, an enormous mall, a mall with three three floors. Um, and and you see all these authentic stores in the background, and it just uh, it, it feels like some sort of a testament to... Um, this this lost or fading tradition of American commercialism. It also very much reminds me of the mall in which scenes are shot in the movie Commando, and I wonder mm-hmm. if it is literally the same mall that they used oh, to yeah, set. Oh, yeah, it might well be. Well, let's go ahead and hit the elevator pitch for this one. Uh, okay, give it to me. Okay, Park Plaza Mall has just updated its security system with state-of-the-art lockdown systems and three Killbots. I don't think they call them killbots, but they're killbots. Protectors. Protectors Protectors. (laughs) to patrol throughout the mall. So, obviously, this is a perfect time for several couples, several teen couples, to have a lockdown party inside one of the stores, inside of a furniture store. What Mm. could possibly go wrong? It's great. It's like... um I mean, one of the funny things is the presumption, and actually I can believe this thinking about it now, that uh, the 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 party teens would not be made aware of the fact that there are lethal robots rolling around in the mall at night, even though they work there. You're just <laughs> like, eh, it's a need-to-know basis. You work here, but you don't need to know. Yeah, they didn't put out a memo or anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should we hit some trailer audio? Yeah, let's listen to some of this fabulous trailer. They broke into the mall for the wildest all-night party of their lives. It's dead meat. But you're never alone. In the chopping mall. What's that? Robot life. Chopping mall. We're shopping. Costs you an arm and a leg. All right, where'd this thing come from? All right, well, we mentioned uh, the director and writer already, and that is Jim Wynorski, um, who, uh, again, was part of the Roger Corman camp there. Uh, He was born in 1950, still alive today as of this recording, and is just a career B-cinema guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was his only his second film. It was a follow-up to 1984's Lost Empire, which apparently is a fantasy film. I have not seen it. But uh, I did read that, um, that, uh, that Jim uh, later said that Roger Corman hated the movie, but he thought that he, quote, put the camera in some interesting places and the girls were pretty. So <laughs> that was enough to get him, uh, sort of pull him into the orbit of Roger Corman. Okay. Um, but I did notice that Alan Howarth did the music for it and has uh, Angus Scrim in it. So how bad could it possibly be? Wait, was Angus Scrim in this movie? He is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll go ahead and and, uh, and point out Angus Scrim, the tall man of the Phantasm movies, um, mm-hmm. has a very brief cameo. I don't. It's not even a cameo because he he he's not even he's under an assumed name and you never see his face. But he's an individual who stands up and asks a question at the Killbot press conference in the early stage of the movie. Oh, okay, that was him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, unless you're looking for it, you'll totally miss it. So anyway, uh, yeah, Jim uh, Wynorski here. He uh, goes on from this film to direct um, Deathstalker Two. He directed oh, The Return no. of Swamp Thing. Um, <laughs> He has 104 director credits on IMDb, including uh, a fair amount of exploitation films, some late-night Cinemax-style films thrown in there, but also family films, some some kind of uh, cringy-looking parody films from recent years, but yeah. just a lot of stuff. Um, all over the map. Yeah, all over the map. Uh, so, like Some of it looks very interesting. Some of it you, you want to skip on, but, uh, but yeah, he's had quite a career. It's hard to believe that this was made by the same person who made Deathstalker 2, because Deathstalker 2 is just a sand sandwich. It's just awful. (laughs) (laughs) Then this is, I mean, comparatively, this movie is, I mean, again, it it is trash, but it's very, it's very like light, fun trash. Yeah, yeah, it is. um, 
It's 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 more fast food, you know, and yeah. and it also this is something worth pointing out. It knows it's fast food, but in a way that oddly works. It's very rare to find that in a film today, you know. Um, so so many self aware B movies um, are just yeah difficult Cringy. to tolerate. But this one somehow just, it would it walks that line and does a good job with it. We were just talking about this recently off mic about how. There are so few intentionally bad, successfully funny movies and TV shows. And now, you know, obviously we're doing this show, so we clearly love bad movies. But, um, but like, it's hard to think of people who do it on purpose and it works. I, we thought of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, mm-hmm. bad on purpose, very funny. This movie, I think, fits that category, but it's really quite rare. Most of the time, it just hurts. Yeah, and one of the things that I was saying about Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is that, well, it works because it has this kind of dry sensibility, but mm-hmm. uh, a chopping mall does not have a dry sensibility. So, um, you know, my, my, my reasoning there doesn't really apply to this film. Yeah, I wonder. All right, so as we mentioned, Chopping Mall concerns, I think, four different uh, couples, and they are difficult to keep track of until they start dying because they all basically right. look alike. Um as I was, I was discussing this film with my wife last night, I, I think this film's idea of diversity is casting one non-blonde female in the whole picture. <laughs> yes. So yeah. it, it's easy to lose track of who's who. We're not going to mention all of the the, the teen uh, players here, but we'll mention a few of them. Top billing goes to uh, Kelly Maroney. Uh, she was also the star of Night of the Comet in 84. Oh, that's another great one. We, we yeah. should come back to that. Uh, the 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 real standout teen is um, Mike, the the beefy one, the the, the gumshoer, oh, yeah. and he's played uh. by uh, John Terleski. Uh, very memorable <laughs> part of this film, but he's one of these guys that that goes on to have quite a career. Well, first of all, he goes on to play the Death Stalker in Death Stalker Two, but uh, he went on to act in a bunch of stuff and directed quite a bit, uh, including just a ton of steady mainstream TV work in recent years. Six episodes of The Blacklist. 26 episodes of Castle. And then in 2005, he wrote and directed a movie about uh, Cerberus. From Greek mythology? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I haven't seen it. I've only seen the, the trailer. I can't imagine it's, <laughs> uh-huh. it's too uh, uh, versed in Greek mythology, but it exists. I mean, this guy is an amazing specimen. So we're, we're going to talk, I guess, once we get into the full plot breakdown, I'll mention some of the main teens. But this guy is just a, a peak specimen of the like 80s jock bully character. Mm-hmm. And he... He's so good. He he's just a can of denty more. He's this knuckle neck <laughs> guy with the smirk. It's 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 fabulous. Yeah, he's uh, he's shirtless most of the film. It's it's wonderful. Uh, or most of the film during which he's alive, because obviously he's the character that's introduced. You're like, oh, this guy's this guy's biting it. This guy's getting killed by a robot for sure. Yeah. Now the film also features um, the legendary Barbara Crampton as Susie, one of the um, uh, the teens we're discussing here. Now, she's a, a true scream queen and genre staple, especially in Stuart Gordon films. Uh, she got her start in Brian De Palma's Body Double, but then she went on to act in um, Reanimator, From Beyond, Puppet Master, Trancers 2, Robot Wars, Castle Freaks, Space Truckers. Um, yeah, she's been in a ton of stuff. Oh, that's Robot Wars, but I thought for a second you were talking about Robot Jocks, which is, I think, also a Stuart Gordon movie. Yeah, uh, Robot Jocks is really good. That's yeah. <laughs> that's one that's kind of on my short list to scout out to see if that's that's one we need to discuss here. Oh, oh, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> now another uh, cult icon that's in this film, though very briefly, is uh, Mary Waranov. Uh, she plays she plays a character that we're told is Mary Bland, alongside Paul Bland, played by Paul Bartle, who I'll get to in just a second. Um, they're present only briefly in the film at that Killbot press conference that, uh, that, that occurs early on in the film. Mm-hmm. Now, she, uh, she's very interesting. She started out as a Warhol superstar in the 80s, uh, one of Andy Warhol's um, uh, you know, followers and, and celebrity people. Uh, but then she acted in a ton of B-movies, especially Corman films. She did a lot of TV and stage work. And she's one of these people that uh, I always smile when she so, shows up in a film because she's always an absolute delight. Um, and the, the cool thing is you often find her alongside this guy, Paul Bartle, um, who, again, is playing the, uh, the the bearded gentleman sitting next to her. Um, 
and this is this is interesting because he's he's most famous for writing and directing the horror comedy Eating Raul in 1982 about a pair of restaurant tours who turned to murder. Uh, and he plays Paul Bland in that, and uh, Mary plays Mary Bland in that. So in Chopping Mall, they are reprising these roles. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, the, the, it's the Corman Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so there, you know, it's all just a big wink to this other movie. Um, now, in, within the Corman universe, Bartel also um, directed Corman's Death Race 2000, among a slew of other films. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, another bad one, man, we are just uh, rattling off the, the list of, of rabbit holes to go down today. Uh, I should mention before we move on from Mary Warnoff that she is also fantastic in a more recent horror movie. Uh, the, the actually quite scary and extremely disturbing, extremely good house of the devil directed by Ty West. Oh, cool. Uh, I haven't seen that yet, but if, oh. if she's in it, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, she's great. And it's also got Tom Noonan in it, who is oh. creepy as he always is, but um, I don't know. I don't want to write it off as just like, well, those are his character traits. I mean, Tom Noonan is a great actor, but also just like, Ugh. he plays a great, <laughs> great creep for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, I mean, there's just so again, like you said, so many rabbit holes in the, the cast of this film because it yeah. also has Dick Miller. Oh, as Walter Dick Miller. The janitor. <laughs> Dick Miller is also a classic Corman player going all the way back. He was, uh, he starred in some sixties, Corman movies, not of this earth. He's got a great small role in that. It, he's just wonderful. Yeah, he. Uh, a lot of you will probably remember him from Gremlins, Gremlins Two. Uh, he was in The Howling, Piranha, Little Shop, The Little Shop of Horrors, uh, Night of the Creeps, and then one of the the scenes that I really love him in. Again, he's often in the little small parts and things, but he was in The Terminator. He was the gun shop clerk. Do uh, you remember that scene, Joe? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah any one of these the, weapons is ideal for home defense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that great exchange where the Terminator is rattling off this list of weapons, and he says, yes. saves plasma rifle in the 40-watt rage, and Miller says, hey, just what you see, pal. Right. It's great. I, I have to think that maybe there's a little bit of subtle political commentary in that scene. This, this murder robot from the future is just listing a, this giant catalog of weapons that he needs to murder people with, and the guy's like, yeah, defend your home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So uh, Dick Miller plays, you know, I, I guess, he, you know, he had, had a type. He plays this kind of snappy everyman, you know, and that's what he plays in this. He's a janitor who dares to stand up to the killer robot and gets electrocuted for it. Oh, man, the cameos just don't stop, though. There is another amazing character actor in this movie, Garrett Graham, who's mm-hmm. in he's in this movie for like two minutes. He, he just plays like a guy in a lab coat who gets murdered. Uh, but I love Garrett Graham, and this is main. I mean, I love everything I've seen him in. Well, I don't know if I love all the movies, but I always love him. Yeah, and he is absolutely one of the highlights of the Phantom of the Paradise, a great Brian De Palma movie where he plays the the. I don't even know how to describe him. This like Frankenstein rock star named Beef. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that, I think that's accurate. He he has these eyes, these very expressive kind of like bugged out eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, some people may recognize him as Bud the Chud from Chud Two, Bud the Chud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, he's I, the titular Bud the Chud. He is. He is. Um, I really loved him in the movie Terror Vision, which um, also came out in 86 and also had Mary Warrenov in it. Uh, mm. that, that's a film I absolutely adore, and we may have to come back to that one in the future. This movie is like a trawler net. It's just, it's just <laughs> sucking in like every great weird character actor and Corman player. Yeah. Now, we already mentioned Angus Scrim barely shows up. Apparently, was credited as Lawrence Guy on this one. Mm. Um, and then, uh, oh, and then as a cameo, Julie Corman, the producer, uh, shows up as a, a mall shopper with a baby. Uh, again, Julie um, Corman is Roger Corman's wife. And as far as other folks involved in the film, I mean, uh, I didn't follow every rabbit hole, but I did notice that Carol Clements was the art director who also worked on the 1986 film Vamp, an excellent vampire film starring Grace Jones and Billy Drago, um, hmm. which is, also has kind of a snazzy look to it. Oh, wait a second. Is that the one about like the college kids who go to the vampire town and that's got all the very expressionist sets? Yeah. And Grace Jones is like this vampire dancer. Okay. And it, and it, it has a great cast of B players as well. Um, mm-hmm. But but it ha- also has like a, a definite style, at least in some of the scenes. 
It's been a long time, but I remember really liking that one. Yeah. Okay, well, is it time to get into the full plot breakdown? I mean, to the extent that this movie has a plot. Yeah, at least yeah this one, do the this details. is, a, this is a, a, a movie that, that knows once it has your attention, it needs to keep going. I mm. think uh, the, ver- the version I watched anyway is like 77 minutes. So right. there's only so much plot here, but it's, it's all well done. I always respect that, actually, in, in a movie that knows it's trash and is like, look, we're going to get to the point. It's going to be really short. I've said this a million times now about Attack of the Crab Monsters. Mm-hmm. It's like a 62-minute movie. I mean, how can you beat it? It's just amazing. W- yes. Why drag it out for another 20 minutes? Yeah. And uh, I, I would say that Chopping Mall is of the same philosophy. It's something like 77 minutes long, including the credits. But so what happens at the very beginning? We We begin with the scene of a robbery. You've got... One of these 80s movie punks, he's this sallow leather jacket punk who breaks the glass of a jewelry store and snatches a bunch of precious jewels out of the window in an otherwise apparently just deserted mall. And so you think he's going to get away with the jewels, but then there's a robot. (laughs) He is pursued by a robot who... I was wondering how you were going to describe the look of the, the kill bots in this movie. My feeling was that they look like Alpha 5 from the Power Rangers on the, on the head portion, but mm-hmm. with tank treads. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of like – you have to kind of define it in, in, by, by referencing other robots. There's a little bit of Johnny 5 in there. There's a little bit of, uh, of, of, of Dalek uh, in there. I'm not sure what else to compare. Definitely oh, yeah, that, yeah. that Power Rangers bot you mentioned, it does have a head like that, kind of a big flying saucer head. The the Dalek point is a good one. Uh, Alpha 5 Dalek, I would say, actually. Yeah. That, that's pretty much perfect. So the Alpha 5 Dalek is, uh, is running after the robber, rolling after the robber, and the robber starts shooting at it with his revolver. Surely I can stop this metal robot with, my, with this little gun. Some, somebody out there needs to make a feature-length documentary film that is just about the shot where some meathead in a movie is shooting a gun at a killer robot and they see the puny bullets bouncing off and doing nothing. And then they go, what? <laughs> and the terror comes over their face and then they either drop the gun or throw the gun. Alpha 5 does not react to these gunshots at all. It does not even give you an I, 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 I. He, he, uh, he tases the crook. And then we get a The End title, which was a very nice little gag. Mm-hmm. But then it turns out this is a film within a film, and we're getting a demonstration of the latest in cutting-edge security technology, the Protector 101 series robots. And, of course, as you mentioned, uh, then we pull back. We see an audience there observing this film. Uh, hype man's about to show up, and we see Paul Bartel and Mary Warnov in the audience wearing their name tags. So we know that they're actually playing the same characters yep. <laughs> they were in the other movies we've already seen. And uh, and I love we get this guy who runs up who's this like Royce McCutcheon type hype man, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, bring me some of that moon money. And he assures us that the protectors do not kill. But Paul Bartel is not buying it. He's like, I don't know. He looked pretty dead to me. <laughs> but Royce McCutcheon assures the audience that the punk is merely neutralized until he can be located by law enforcement. And uh, then he does this survey of all their weapons, which is great. He talks about how they've got sleep darts and they have lasers positioned here that can cut through any sort of debris, which sounds very useful in a security robot. Yeah. Like what kind of debris are they supposed to be cutting through in the mall? <laughs> and as for the sleep darts, that that sounds good. But I can't remember. Do we see any sleep darts deployed in this film? <laughs> I don't remember any sleep yeah. darts. I remember the robots, they use their little pincer things to, like, slash people's necks, mm-hmm. and they use their lasers to blow up people's heads. Yeah, they why they use those lasers. Um, but the, but and the they're lasers. like imperial stormtroopers. Like, they can't aim at all. <laughs> but they get coverage. They get yeah. coverage with the, with the spray. That's right. Um, they're laying down suppressing fire. <laughs> I have to say the, um, the kill bots here... They look pretty good, you know? I mean, yeah. you look at the overall design, and it, it it's what doesn't look thrown together. You know, it's not humanoid at all. Um, it has, like, four arms that are very much like the arms of some sort of, like, a lunar probe or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it's it's a bit shocking if you go into it expecting that metal claw, metal hand from the, um, from the poster or the box art. But I think the end result looks pretty good. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're lovable 
goobery <laughs> killer robots. Yeah. And so, oh yeah, and we get the spe- uh, one of the things I wanted to flag that we already talked about this a bit is that they're called protectors because that mm-hmm. just seems like that is actually I think pretty perfect satire in a very contained little capsule because they don't seem to be designed for protecting anything that's alive. I don't know, maybe the pets in the pet store, mm-hmm. but the goal appears to be to quote neutralize shoplifters, uh, and yet they're called protectors. So I think the the branding satire is very on point. Yeah, like they they want to protect merchandise from perceived thieves, even if it means absolutely destroying a store to do it, (laughs) cutting through it with those lasers, rolling through it like a tank, whatever it takes. Warning, warning. Like they they see a guy in a mohawk just walking by the pet store and their eyes glow red. (laughs) But one of the other things I really like in this hype speech is that we get uh, McCutcheon starts laying out like Chekhov's rules. So he says there are steel security doors that lock the mall at night so that no one can get in. Of course, the implication is or out. Mm. Uh, you also get the the uh, uh, you get get it divulged that the robots protect the mall itself, but cannot enter the individual stores, which holds up for a bit in the movie. Uh, but you, you can guess this will lead to at least a temporary game of mall is lava where you have to hop yeah. from store to store. Yeah, which is, is again, kind of reminiscent of Dawn of the Dead, where there, there was this idea of like getting from one store to the next. And if the store was locked up, the zombies couldn't get in. Yeah. And then also they will supposedly not harm anyone who has a security badge. Though I will say it sets up both of these rules and they hold for about a third of the movie and then do not hold right. anymore. And, and there's, yeah, there's not, well, there is one reason for why it doesn't work, but there's not, not a lot of time is given to really explaining what went wrong here. Oh, yeah, we got to get to that. But then, of course, Royce McCutcheon tells us, trust me, absolutely nothing can go wrong. <laughs> then we cut to an opening credit sequence that is dynamite. So you've got this mm-hmm. synth sequencer Terminator music and just vignettes from the Galleria. We, we witness this lady navigating a crowded food court full of rude people pushing around, and she's got a tray full of meatball subs and these gallon-sized Coca-Cola cups. Yep. And then we go to an arcade in which adult men are shoving children out of the way for a turn at the Defender cabinet. Uh, there are a bunch of beauty pageant contestants in bikinis just going up and down the escalators. We see a makeout sesh happening on one of the benches down on the, the lower level. Uh, that seems actually kind of sweet. And then it's, I don't know, the, the whole thing's very glorious. Yeah, it is like the dream of Mall America uh, yeah. presented to you, like the idea, the ideal uh, mall experience. But eventually, of course, we're going to meet some youths who work in the mall. And I think th- these are basically our main characters, uh, as you alluded to earlier. It really is not even worth trying to distinguish them all that much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. They're just like they're they're teens who are up to no good. There are a couple of girls who work in a pizza parlor. There are some bad boys who work in a furniture store, um, or maybe it's a department store. I don't know. It's just got a lot of stuff in it, but mainly furniture. And the furniture boys are planning a party. They are going to get some beer, and then they're going to get up to no good in the store after hours. And there's a great scene where one of the, so. It, the main three guys you meet at first is like you've got your low confidence nerd and mm-hmm. then you've got this preppy Izod chipmunk guy who looks like he's going to go pledge Delta House. Yeah. And then you've got the the knuckleneck jock bully, the the Terleski guy who is just exquisite. Yeah. And there's a great part where they're trying to talk the nerd into partying and eventually they, they win him over and he's like, OK, OK, let's party. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, basically, true to form, you you know that the the nerdiest guy and the nerdiest girl are going to be the ones that survive. And really, this this is cemented when, as the party progresses, um, everybody else is making out and whatnot. Uh, mm. But these two are settled in on a couch in the furniture <laughs> uh, store, and what are they watching on the TV? Oh man, it's Attack of the Crab Monsters. Yep. This was one of my favorite moments in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you think about this when you saw it? I loved it. I, yeah. I, I was like, yep. That, I mean, part of it, I think, is knowing that it's your one of your favorite films. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and also that it's just, it's there's something about this being a Corman production and like the worship of Corman cinema within the film feels, yeah. it feels perfect. 
Yeah, so they're watching Attack of the Crab Monster is a late 50s Corman classic, a drive-in movie classic. I think I mentioned it already earlier on. It's like 60 minutes long. It's about giant psychic crabs that are created by atomic radiation. And they're not just watching the movie. They're also watching the best scene in the movie, which is the part <laughs> right at the end after the heroes blow off one of the crab's giant claws. The psychic crab taunts them by saying, so you have wounded me very well. I will grow a new claw, but will you grow new lives when I have taken yours from you? (laughs) That, my friends, is Corman screenwriter Charles B. Griffith at his finest. And I don't know. It's hard to explain exactly why I love it so much. But I I think also Charles B. Griffith, if he had wanted to, could have written an amazing shopping mall killbot movie. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, but I guess we should comment on what exactly the inciting incident of the plot is. So we've got teens up to no good. They're getting into trouble in the furniture store. And then lightning strikes them all, literally. This is the same thing that happened last week. And we yes, exactly. <laughs> Ghost in the Machine, the exact same plot device. There's a lightning storm. There's a power surge. And then machines go nuts and start killing people. And that's exactly what happens here. Lightning strikes them all. We didn't plan it this way, did we? I think it just no. total lightning accident. somehow struck twice. Yeah. And so lightning strikes, the the protectors start killing. They, they they start with the mall security technician who is examining a Playboy magazine so intensely that he does not notice that the bots have started going berserk and you know they've gone into kill mode. And so they stab him with their pincers. Uh, at some point around here, we also meet a nice couple who are having car trouble, and they're going to end up at the party later, mm-hmm. uh, but they're not mall employees. I guess that doesn't really matter. That, that's just – yeah. But at this point, you've got basically all your pieces on the board. You've got a bunch of rowdy youths. They're up to after-hours misbehavior. You've got security robots gone berserk. And the plot is pretty simple after that. After that, like you can imagine exactly what happens. It's your standard slasher trash in basic content. But as I said, this really does transcend most other slasher trash of its kind, just by having a superior sense of humor and self awareness. And mm-hmm. uh, I think I described it already as sour cream and onion flavored. It might even be salt and vinegar. I don't know. <laughs> but to your point, like basically, what's going to happen is you're going to have kill after kill with the kill circle ever closing around our main characters, and then they're going to have to fight back. Right. Uh, Though the main characters are kind of resourceful in this movie compared to the... I mean, in a lot of slasher movies, the kids are just kind of bumbling around, and then they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, what? Oh, it's Jason. Whack. But in this movie, they're, they're proactive. They set traps. They try to do clever things to defeat the robots, and they sometimes succeed. Yeah, I mean, for instance, that one of the first things they do is they go to the uh, gun store in yes. the mall, and they <laughs> just called, arm it's called, themselves. It's called Peck and Paws, and it's and a wall-to-wall ah. firearms. <laughs> that's well. That that's that's actually kind of clever, Peck and Paws. Yeah. But um, but yeah, they, they they just they really arm themselves and um, and set out like, yeah, we're going to wage war against these uh, <laughs> against these robots. Mm-hmm. One detail I like is that after the furniture boys collect their guns, you can see they've also put some kind of putty into their outer ear canals. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's actually advisable in this scenario because it might make it easier for a killbot to sort of roll up on you from behind. But it's interesting. This is one of the only movies I've ever seen where characters are preparing to use firearms and they decide to go for ear protection. It's interesting. It's pretty yeah. much the only example of responsible firearm use. Uh, the only, well, I take that back. It's the only thing responsible, even remotely related to a firearm that happens in this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, but it is notable. I don't know why that detail's in there, but I really appreciated it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what are some other highlights once the carnage starts? Well, obviously, there is the Dick Miller scene. So we mentioned yep. earlier this actor who's been in, you know, Corman movies since the 60s. Uh, Dick Miller plays a janitor in this movie. He's just got one scene, but he's pretty great. He's uh, an ornery, disgruntled janitor who's cleaning up. I don't know what it is. It's like vomit or something. And the a robot rolls up on him, and he, he, gets, he gets fresh with the robot, and the robot electrocutes him. Yeah. I mean, the robot kind of picked a fight with him. It, like, knocks over a bucket. It's a, it's a weird scene. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's one of the early kills just to, to get things rolling. Um, 
And of course, throughout this, we're still in the mall. And one of my favorite things is just trying to read the names of stores in the background. Oh, totally. One of, one of which is House of Almonds. Um, like the first time you see it, you're not sure. You're like, is that House of Almonds? Uh-huh. And then you see it several times more and you're like, yes, there's a, there apparently was a store called House of Almonds. I tried to find some hard details about it. I, I couldn't, but I guess this was a real store. I guess they only sold almonds and almond derivative products and like almond based candies or something. That's the kind of store where you get cyanide poisoning. Yeah, I guess. No, but, wait, wait, wait. So there used to be. That's just hard to imagine. That's too specific to be a real business model. You'd think, but I mean, I, I like I say, I wasn't able to find any hard details about this. Perhaps mm-hmm. listeners can write in uh, about this. Uh, did you ever work at a House of Almonds? Did you own House of Almonds? But <laughs> Tell us I, about the fall of the House of Almonds. <laughs> <laughs> I did see some photos uh, online of, of what looked like the interiors and, in one case, exterior of a store with mm-hmm. the name House of Almonds. And it looks like it was like almond candies and stuff. So I don't know. Okay. I mean, it sounds nuts, but. <laughs> <laughs> God. Uh, so, is that unintentional uh, or okay? I don't know. It's, 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 well, it seems appropriate given uh, given shopping mall. Um, again, this is where uh, where shopping will cost you an arm and a leg. Remember, right? Uh, again, let's see. I mentioned earlier that the mall in this case, um, I forget where they actually filmed this. It's an actual mall, obviously, but it's three stories of mall. Mm-hmm. And it has some gorgeous railings and some walkways. So, of course, it has some uh, some stunts where people fall and do these big, big, enormous falls uh, through the center of the mall. Uh, yeah, Izod Boy at one point gets knocked over the railing and goes splat, you know, three floors below. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I read that um, the director, uh, Jim, he, he, like, test drove one of the stunts, like, to prove that it was safe or something. And, um, and I think he ended up like breaking a rib in it. So, oh. <laughs> but the stunts, the stunts look good. Uh, and they make good use of the space. Um, apparently they, this is one of those films where yeah, they filmed it in the actual mall at night when nobody else was there. And yeah, they're firing off guns. They're setting portions of the floor on fire. They're, uh, using in in a couple of cases at least they're using I guess phony storefronts turned into fake stores and then driving robots through them. It's uh, it's pretty yeah. great. Well, I wish we'd figured out before we started recording, but we should look up after this which mall it was and figure out if it's the same mall as Commando. Because if so, I definitely want to receive the Eagle Eye Prize for the week. Well, I can tell you now, Joe. Uh, thanks to the power of the internet, it was filmed at Sherman Oaks Galleria in Los Angeles, California. Wait a second. And it was used in multiple films. So, Night of the Comet, Commando. Commando, yes! <laughs> yes! Yes! You what do right. I win? What do you, I win? Tell, tell them, Barbara. <laughs> um, uh, well, you, you get to, to learn that it was also where they spil- filmed inner space, uh, parts of inner space. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, multiple films. So, uh, I, I, apparently, it's just an easy place to, to film back in the day. I had such a strong feeling. Man, I feel vindicated. I'm going to be, this is going to be coursing through my veins rest of the day. Let's see, what else do they do to make use of the space? They, um, there's use of the elevator. They make an elaborate robot trap using the elevator. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have killbots using the escalators. Uh, they're, oh, they're, yeah, that's great. Which, which is a great scene because you know from earlier, you know about the size of the robot's torso. There's no way that, that thing's fitting on an escalator. Uh, but through the magic of cinema, uh, it, it manages. Mm-hmm. There's one part after they blow up one of the robots in an elevator trap, which is which is a great sequence, I thought. And they're they're laying low in a hideout. I think maybe they've gone back to I don't know the pizza parlor or something. And they're sitting around drinking diet coke, and it looks like they're one of them is drinking Tabasco sauce, just because there are drink cans and bottles on a table, and then mm-hmm. right among them is a bottle of Tabasco sauce. That was funny to me. <laughs> Let's see. So yeah, basically, they, they regroup, they put the fight to the robots, they, they set robot traps. And just when you're thinking that all of this shooting at robots is going absolutely nowhere, one of them does manage to disable the, uh, the killer lasers on one of the killbots with their gun. So you have to give them credit for that. Um, did we mention that there's a great head explosion in this? One of the, the female victims, her head explodes when she's shot with a laser? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, Terleski's girlfriend, her, yep. her head explodes when she gets shot with a laser. Yeah. Which and is, it's, 
it's good. It's not too grisly. It's not it's not like scanners level head burst. It's uh well also at the in the end credits when they're like showing all the actors goofing around and then showing the the actor's name and the character they play the clip they pick for everybody else is just kind of like hey what's up hanging out on set <laughs> but the clip they show for her is her head exploding <laughs> uh there was another thing that i i really enjoyed uh which is that toward the end we get down to our final girl of the movie, who is the nice girl from early on who worked at the pizza parlor, uh, mm-hmm. the one who was watching Attack of the Crab Monsters with the nerdy boy. Uh, but it turns out she's a very good shot. She explains that her dad was a Marine and she's, in fact, a, a real Annie Oakley with that revolver. And so she, she's been running around shooting at the robot. And at one point she gets chased into a pet store and yeah. just – snakes and tarantulas are spilled all over her while she's trying to hide it's a little implausible but i like it yeah it 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 feels kind of perfect i was thinking about this earlier when i think back on some of the kids who like to hang out in the mall Mm -hmm. i feel like yeah these are the kids that would have wanted to own snakes and tarantulas so it it makes sense you know hang out at the the metal store buy your your metal t-shirts and uh and then go over and buy a tarantula right i i just bought a $24 copy of The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails at Camelot <laughs> Music, and uh, and now it's time to go get some food for my tarantula. Yes. So uh, ultimately, they're able to overcome the robots. They blow up the last of the robots, though there is a stinger at the end where a robot comes up and says, uh, have a nice day or something to that effect, <laughs> uh, which I guess keeps the dream alive. And for, for my part, I can't help but wonder what could have been. You know, if they'd made a sequel to this, there's so many directions they could have gone in. They could have gone in a Christmas direction. Wouldn't that have been perfect to have a, a holiday um, chopping mall uh, uh-huh. picture where it's, I don't know, maybe it's the same mall, maybe it's a different mall, but you have the, the kill bots, maybe you have a killer robot Santa. It's I got mean, a Santa hat, yes. Yeah, it put a Santa hat on it. There's so much you could do. I totally agree. Crossover with Dawn of the Dead, perhaps, where <laughs> you have zombies and kill bots. I don't know. Oh, but you can pit them against each other. That's yeah. smart. That's a good idea. But I mean, sadly, it, it never came to be. This is this is the chopping mall we have, and uh, and it works well. It's it's a very enjoyable, brisk seventy seven minutes. You know, there is nothing about this film that's really all that deep or thoughtful, but I would still say even at a very shallow level, it makes a pretty compelling case against autonomous lethal robots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I <laughs> sort think of, so. Uh, highlighting some of the inherent dangers there. You, you, you don't really want something that, uh, I don't know, has lethal capabilities and could malfunction, and there's not like a human operator in the middle to take responsibility for what it does. Yeah, though there there is early on. I mean, certainly that guy reading the Playboy and with the, with the half-eaten donut, uh, you know, he is the, what they, I think they still refer to as the man in the loop. Uh, on a semi-autonomous system. You know, he's the one that's supposed to be keeping track, uh, you know, checking in at least every 30 minutes to see if the the bots have killed anybody. (laughs) Uh, But then, of course, all that gets um, thrown out the window when the the bots get all juiced up on lightning and take him out. I mean, I can't honestly say my feelings about uh, autonomous lethal robots have really changed due to this movie, but (laughs) I'm vibing with it, basically. Yeah. uh, Like I said, I feel like the strongest... Thing, the, th- the things that resonate about this movie are mostly nostalgic, uh, making one think about the mall and what the, the place that the mall um, had in the American experience of the time, certainly in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and I guess there's less of it today, but there, there are malls still around. People still go to them, um, or at least yeah, they I did. I so. Do, yeah. do they? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they still sometimes film movies and TV shows in them, so they exist. And they're really just begging for uh, for there to be another um, a chopping mall movie filmed there. I think I think the the sky is the limit. Okay, if the moist air of the real life Galleria evaporates and forms a mist that is vaporwave, but then that mist condenses on a window pane and rolls down and makes a puddle on the window sill, that newly liquidized water is chopping mall. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it, it's a good one. Um, and let's see, if you want to check this one out for yourself, uh, this is one of those you can find pretty much anywhere you get your um, your digital media these days. Uh, I, I watched it on Amazon Prime. In fact, I watched it on Amazon Prime with a, with a handful of, uh, of listeners to the show. So if you were uh, on that particular viewing, uh, thanks. Maybe we'll try and do one of those again in the future. It was, it was pretty fun. 
Um, but there's also a, a Blu-ray of this one, I believe, from Vestron Video. And uh, I, I've not tried it out for myself, but it's really packed. It has like three different audio commentaries on it and a ton of extra features. So if you want to really go in deep on Chopping Mall, uh, well, that's what you got to put on your Christmas list. Oh, that's interesting. I'm just looking it up. I would have assumed that Scream Factory would get their hands on this, but it looks like not. Yeah. Now, as long as we're talking about um, where to get movies and also things like shopping malls that um, that you, know, you may not encounter as much anymore, we should we should take another moment to talk about video rental stores uh, because on the show before we have we have mentioned we have plugged Atlanta's only video rental store, Videodrome, and I would like to do so again uh, because not not only for any of our Atlanta listeners who want to actually rent a DVD or a Blu-ray of a film uh, and under certain circumstances, actually uh, walk the halls, the hallowed halls of Videodrome. I want to also point out that if you are not an Atlanta area uh, human, you can still check out their merch store, uh, which is at Videodrome.tv. Their main website is VideodromeATL.com, but Videodrome.tv is a place where you can get like a shirt with their logo on it, um, stuff like that, stickers, patches. Uh, It's pretty fun. Videodrome is like a store that would be in the background in Chopping Mall. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. You know, and you do feel like you're kind of going back in time when you go to Videodrome. Yeah. Um, I, I hope to go there again soon. Uh, for in, in, in part because some of the movies we discuss in Weird House Cinema, uh, like that's where we have to go to find them. Uh, not, not everything can be obtained online in digital streaming form these days. And it's nice to have that physical experience of the store. All right, we're going to go ahead and close out on Shopping Mall here today. But obviously, we would love to hear from everybody. Uh, What did you think about Shopping Mall? Uh, Did you watch Shopping Mall back in the day? Do you have memories of roaming um, uh, uh, various malls uh, during your your younger years? We'd love to hear from everybody on that. Uh, Just a reminder that Weird House Cinema publishes every Friday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind feed. Core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind continue to publish on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Those are our core science and culture episodes. But Friday, Weird House Cinema is uh, our chance to unwind and uh, and get into a weird film instead. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 